We continue our Advent series. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 John chapter 4. We'll be looking this morning at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. And at this time, uh, kids uh, ages 4 through 1st grade are dismissed to children's worship. So 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. I invite you to bow with me as we ask for the Spirit's anointing on His Word this morning. Lord, it is good to gather as your children in worship. Lord John has said, what love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. By your grace and by your love for us. Lord, I pray that you would fill us now with your spirit as we open up your word together. And show us, Lord, lead us more deeply into that love, that gift of love. Give us eyes to see it and ears to hear it and hearts to receive this gift of yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you, if you're able, to stand for the reading of God's Word, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. John says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. You may be seated. More songs have been written about love than about any other subject or topic. And one of the most popular songs about love is a song from the 60s that says, Lord, we don't need another mountain. There are mountains and hillsides enough to climb. There are oceans and rivers to cross enough to last till the end of time. Anybody know what comes next? What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing there's just too little of. And the song itself is, I suppose, maybe a little bit corny and trite, but the message, the main message of the song is true, isn't it? In a world darkened by hatred and division and conflict and, and terror and war, what the world needs now is love. 
And love is one of the gifts, arguably the, the greatest gift that Jesus came to bring. Uh, and when it comes to the, the theme of love, there's no better place to turn than First John. Uh, this is a, a letter that is just loaded with the theme of love. In this short letter, uh, John uses the word love 46 times. And in our text this morning, as we uh, draw our attention to these verses, we see three things about God's gift of love. So we're just kind of going to follow, uh, it falls into kind of three sections our text does. We're going to walk through it together this morning. We see first that love originates in God's being. And by the way, I should point out, we've talked about love before and the different meanings of love in the Greek. There's eros, which is a, a physical, romantic kind of love. There's philia, which is a, a friendship, affection kind of love. There's storge, which is a sort of a family connections kind of a, a love. And, but the love that, that John is talking about here is the highest of, of loves, and that is agape, which is that self-giving love, that will uh, to seek the good of another, that sacrificial, self-giving love. So love, that kind of love, originates in God's being. Love is essential to God's nature. John says, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. So God himself is the source of love, the one in whom and from whom love streams. John says it even more forcefully in verse 8 when he says, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So not only does love come, come from God, but God himself is love. That means it's, it is intrinsic to his nature. Love is not a quality that, that God has, has taken to himself. It is the very essence of his being. And it's really a profound thing to say if you think about it because God is is an eternally self-existent being, right? So that there was never a time when God was not, which means that he was loving long before there was any created being to love. And so how do, you, how do we make sense of that? Well, I think the answer, which is really what, what makes, why Christianity makes sense when compared to the other religions, but the answer, I think, is found in John 17, verse 24, where Jesus is praying for all believers, and he says this. He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. God is love because from all eternity, the relationship between the Father and the Son has been a relationship of love. And so without the Trinity, without that, that the, a God who is one God and three distinct persons in relationship of pure love with each other, there is, it could not be said that God is love. Now, when, when John says that God is love, we have to be clear that he, he does not say that God is only love. Right? So God, God is also holy and just and pure and good. And as John Stott so helpfully said, the essential truths of God's being must always be held together. And this is important to keep in mind as we consider the reality of human sin because there are some who say, well, a loving God could never be a wrathful God. A loving God could never be, you know, exercise judgment. No, that's, that's not the case. The, the love of God is not a love that is dismissive of sin. Read the book of Jeremiah, and you will see again and again and again the heavy hand of God's judgment against the sin of his people. 
They have forsaken him. They've rejected him. Uh, They've rejected his word. They followed the, the false gods of the nations. And so God says to them in just one of the many places throughout the book of Jeremiah, he says, Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. See, I will make this people eat bitter food and drink poisoned water. I will scatter them among nations that neither they nor their ancestors have known. And I will pursue them with a sword until I've made an end of them. Well, this is the same God that John writes about in his letter, the God who is love. The love of God is not a love that is dismissive of sin. His loving nature does not somehow exclude his judgment and his wrath. The essential truths of God's being must always be held together. And so if God is love, then his judging through Jeremiah, for example, is an expression of his love in much the same way that a parent disciplining a child is an expression of that parent's love. And if God is holy and just, then the love that we read about in John is a love that is consistent with his holiness and his justice. I think uh, C.H. Dodd put it in a very helpful way, and I couldn't find the exact quote, so this is a paraphrase of of what C.H. Dodd said. He said something along the lines of this, that God who is love is also light and fire. And so far from condoning sin, his love has found a way to expose it because he is light and to consume it because he is fire without destroying the sinner because he is love. So love is a gift that originates in God's being and it's a love that takes seriously the problem of sin. Which brings us to the second observation, that is that love The love of of God is demonstrated in the giving of the Son. The very Son that has been in loving relationship with the Father from before time began. The one and only Son, as John says, that expression of of uniqueness and of special relationship, of, of a cherished, treasured possession. The one and only Son who is himself, as John says in his gospel, God and is in closest relationship with the Father. God demonstrates his love in the sending of this son. John says this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. So this God who is love in the essence of his being looked upon humanity and said, well, how how will I show them my love? If I am love in the essence of my being, how can I show that to them? How can I make that, that, that manifest them? How can these finite beings behold and grasp the infinite love of an invisible God? And his answer was to send the one in whom he has taken infinite and eternal delight to send the one that he has cherished from before the creation of the world. His answer was to give his one and only son that he would take on human flesh so that we could see him and touch him and, and hear him and know him and follow him. He showed the world his love in the sending of his son. When I was uh, growing up, I, I used to love searching for agates. My brother and my sister and I would spend hours going up and down the gravel roads uh, around the, the cabin uh, at the lake up in northern Minnesota. It was all gravel roads. We'd walk up and down them looking for agates, and we'd do that all day long. And I remember 
one really hot and humid summer day, and we had been walking for over a mile looking for agates. And, uh, and uh, my uh, brother, my older brother, my older sister, they were ahead of me, and, and it was after so long. We all had a, we had a bucket full of, we all had a bucket full of agates at this time, and I was hot, and I was tired, and I was trailing behind my older siblings. And it was then that I saw it, the edge of the road kind of hidden in a little clump of grass. It was the biggest agate I had ever seen in my life. It was about the size of a baseball. And I picked it up, and I, and I dropped it in my bucket, and I went running up to my older brother and, and, and older sister, and I, and I showed it to them, and, and they couldn't believe what they saw. And of course, then all the bartering began. I'll give you all of my agates if you give me that one. I'll give you my sticker book back home. I'll give you my watch. I'll give you anything you want. But nothing could move me to part with that agate that I had found. It was the pearl of great price, the treasure of all treasures. In that moment, it was the most precious thing that I knew, and I, and, and I wouldn't give up anything for it. God shows his love by giving the most precious thing that he knew. He gave his one and only son, and he did it, John says, so that we might live through him. He goes on to say, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Well, that's the most astounding thing of all. He showed his love in the most extravagant way by giving the most costly, most precious gift. And, and he did it for those who were the most undeserving to receive it. He didn't love us because we were lovely. He didn't love us because we were his loving children. He was so moved by our love to him that he wanted to, to show his love for us. He wasn't moved to send his son because we had done anything to merit such a gift. As Paul says in Romans 5, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Still Sinners, rebels, and scoundrels, hostile to God and, and defiant. That's when God loved us. He gave a son to purchase for himself not a beautiful bride, but a people disfigured and stained and corrupted by sin. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. You see, the wonder of God's love is that it is completely and utterly free, spontaneous and uncaused. He doesn't love you because, because of all the time that you spent in Sunday school. He doesn't love you because you've tried so hard to keep the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't love you because, you, because of how good you've been. He doesn't love you because you have all the right doctrine. He doesn't love you because you have things all figured out and you got it all worked out at this point in your life. He doesn't love you because you fast and pray. The prophet Isaiah said, in fact, that all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. As Alistair Begg put it, the best of our self-attained righteousness is as if we dressed up in a bunch of garbage that we had found in a can behind Walmart. And God looked down upon us in our filthy condition and he loved us just because 
He loves us. You see, our love is a response to His. As John said, we, we love because He first loved us. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will, and if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. When John says that God sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, that word atoning sacrifice is a, is a loaded, a powerful word. It was, a, I think, a better translated propitiation, as a propitiation for our sins. It means that He sent His Son to take upon Himself the full weight of God's wrath against our sin. So that He bore all of the guilt and all of the shame of our sin in His own body on the cross, all of the guilt and all of the shame was poured out on him and his body on the cross, bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. You see, this is the real meaning of Christmas. God showed his love among us by sending his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. A medieval monk announced one Sunday evening that he would be preaching on the love of God. And when the congregation was gathered in the darkness of the cathedral, the monk lit a single candle and he walked up to the crucifix and he held that candle slowly to the crown of thorns and then over to the pierced hands. And then he held the candle to the wounded side. And as he did so, a deep silence fell over the congregation. And then the monk blew out the candle and he left because there was nothing more to say. Love is demonstrated in the giving of the Son. And then third, love is made complete in our loving one another. John says, dear friends, since God so loved us, and the word so can be taken in two ways, so in this manner or so to this extent, and John loves double entendres. He loves to use, to use, loves to use words that have double meanings. So I think it means both in this sense. Since God so loved us to such, to such a great extent, and since he so loved us in this incredible manner, we also ought to love one another. Well, this is a pretty simple and straightforward statement that the wonder and depth of God's love for us ought to move us to love one another. It's kind of like the parable of the unmerciful servant. How could we receive forgiveness for our million-dollar debt and then turn around and withhold it from our hundred-dollar debtor? It's the same idea here in John's letter. When we see what love the Father has lavished on us in the giving of His Son, how could we withhold love from one another. When, when, when we have been given such an, an incomprehensibly high and deep and wide and long gift of love that is beyond what we can even know, as Paul says, how could we then withhold our love from each other? But John takes it to the next level in verse 12. He says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. Because God is spirit, as John has said, he is invisible. No one has ever seen him. But John says here that we are able to experience his presence. 
And we do that, he says, when we, incredibly, when we love one another. You see, our loving one another makes the love of God visible and tangible. As one preacher said, the church is God's audiovisual presentation to a dying culture. It's only when we love others that we fully experience the love of God in our own hearts and the presence of God within us. Let me say that again. I think it's a profoundly significant truth. It's only when we love others that we fully experience the love of God in our own hearts and know the presence of God within us. This is why it is so critically important to love one another. It's not just because we're commanded to do it. It's because it is the means by which we, we know most fully God's love for us. If, you, if you're feeling like, you, like God is so far removed, like you, you, like, like you don't know, you can't comprehend God's love, if you're feel like, feeling like it's just not there, you don't know the love of God, the, the, the best place to begin is to start loving one another. And it's in doing so that God's love in us is made tangible and his presence comes alive. So what does that look like to love one another? Well, John put it so clearly in 1 John chapter 3, just a chapter before our text, and he said this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. To love one another is to lay down our lives for each other. It means dying to our own selfish ambitions and desires. It means sacrificing our own interests and wants. It means emptying ourselves again and again and again for the sake of others. It means putting their needs above our own. It means listening instead of judging and serving instead of expecting to be served. And sometimes it demands big things and costly things like forgiveness, forgiving somebody who has hurt you deeply. But it's also the little things, all the little things like letting your sister have the last cookie or doing your brother's chores in addition to your own or getting in the car on a cold winter night to look at Christmas lights with your wife when you'd much rather just stay home and watch the game. The love to which John calls us is a costly love. A sacrificial love, a love that lays down our lives for others. Do you know what it is to love like that? When I was growing up, I, I heard a preacher. I have a, I have a vague, faint memory that I shared this story before, but I, I don't know if I did. So I'm going to share it again, even if I did. So now with the... the I, when, when I was growing up, we had a friend of our family who was a pastor... Um, his name was Mike, and uh, he was a great guy. He was a great preacher. And so I remember him preaching one time, and, and uh, I remember a story he told, and I've never forgotten it. And so I'll share it with you. Um, it was a story about a boy, and this boy was just a, just a kind of a mean and, and rotten boy, or at the very least was going through a really mean and rotten and nasty phase of his life. And he was mean to his teachers at school, he was mean to other kids, and he was mean to his family, he just was going through this nasty phase. 
And one day he came home from school and his dog was in the yard waiting uh, for him, wagging his tail, waiting for him to come home. And when the dog came up to the boy to, to greet him, this boy kicked the dog. Just for no reason at all, just wound up and, and kicked him. And the dog whimpered and he was confused and hurt, but he looked up at this boy with softness in his eyes and the boy wound up and he kicked him again. And this time the dog yelped and he cowered away. But after a few seconds he came back to the boy again and with his tail between his legs and he began to lick the boy's hand. And when that dog licked the boy's hand, something within the boy broke and he ran inside and he threw himself into his mom's arms and he began to sob and he said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I've done such a terrible thing. And it was the unconditional, self-giving love of his dog that broke through to him. Well, this is what Christ has done for us. He licked the very hands that wounded him. This is how we know what love is, John says. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. And when we love in this way, John says, then God, God lives in us. See, God shows up in us and his love is made complete in us. So we experience the presence and the love of God most fully and most completely and most tangibly when we love one another in a costly, self-giving, self-emptying kind of way. In one of the uh, Ripley's, believe it or not, books, it's recorded that the longest love letter ever written was the work of a French painter named Marcel de Lacleur. It was written in 1875, and it was addressed to the love of his life, a woman named Magdalene, and the letter contains just a single phrase, I love you, but it was written over and over and over again 1,875,000 times. And he hired a scribe to do the actual writing, which you may think, well, how can he really love this woman if he doesn't even write it himself? But <laughs> he himself dictated every single word and had the hired man repeat it verbatim. And so all in all, the phrase was communicated orally and in writing 5,625,000 times. And Robert Ripley says, Never was love made manifest by as great an expenditure of time and effort. But the gift of love that God has given in Christ is a gift that surpasses any love letter ever written. It is a love that originates in God, is displayed in the giving of His own Son, and is made complete in us when we love one another. Arnold Atreti said that we all spend our lives searching for the same thing. Though we do it in many different ways, the thing we search for, he says, is the most important thing. And we go to extreme lengths to find it. Without this thing, he says, there's a gaping hole within us and we try to fill that hole with all kinds of pale substitutes, but nothing is ever good enough to take away the pain of that empty space. 
The one thing we are all searching for, he says, is knowing that someone loves us. Knowing that someone loves us. And the secret of Christmas is that we have found that one thing in the baby born in Bethlehem. Let's bow together. Lord God, as we come before your throne in this time of silent prayer, we praise you, O Lord, for the gift of, of your love. O Lord, a love that originates in your being, flows from your essence. A love demonstrated in the giving of your Son, your cherished one and only Son, and a love that is made complete in our loving one another. O oh Lord, as we come before you in silence, reveal to us in our own hearts, O oh Lord, the depth and the width and the height and the length of your love. And compel us, O oh Lord, as we taste it and see it, compel us and move within us to love one another. Lord, hear our silent prayers. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Oh, Lord, may it be so in us this Christmas season. May we grasp the wonder of your love, and may it move us to love one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.